Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Just a few weeks ago, it was a beautiful, beautiful sunny fall afternoon. I got done with work and the Rothy boys decided we were going to go to the park and play basketball. But first we had a little errand to run. My wife gave me some uh, like glass bottles that she needed to return to World Market. And if you've never been to World Market before, don't worry, neither had I. I had to kind of look up what it was all about. It is a store that has an eclectic array of home furnishings, decorations, and holiday decorations. So I thought, no problem, we're on our way there. But as we were pulling up to the store and walking in, I noticed that this is not really the ideal store to bring two little boys into who are just hyped up that they're about to go play basketball. So I took them aside and I had the talk with them. The talk about not touching anything. I said, boys, we're going to go in the store and you're going to see a lot of things in here that you might want to play with, but you can't touch anything. And this is where I was super impressed because apparently my wife has really indoctrinated our children. My oldest stopped me in the middle of my speech and said, oh, well, dad, actually, sometimes I struggle with not touching things in the store. So mommy just tells me to put my hands in my pockets like this. I said, oh, that's good. That's good. Do that. And he said, yep. And if sometimes I'm still struggling with touching things, you know what mommy tells me to do? I go, what? What's that? He goes, I just closed my eyes. I go, good, this is going to be no problem. We're going to be in and out, lickety split. I go up to the counter, the only aisle that's open to do the return. And the young person there had no idea how to do a return. Maybe it was their first day or anything. So they call their manager to the front, and I'm like, purpose. I'm like, this is perfect. She's going to help us out. We're going to get out of here, no problem. But she decided that today was the day where she was going to use my return to teach this young man how he's supposed to do returns. No problem. I give over my receipt, then I give over my phone. Then they give back my receipt and phone, but then they need to see my receipt again. Then they needed to see an email brought up about the card it was purchased on, so I showed them that. And this whole time, I'm trying to corral two little boys that are like raised by wolves who are just like stretching to get out and run through this like store, this jungle of an eclectic array of home furnishings, decorations, and holiday decorations. Meanwhile, this young man's taking a master class on how to do returns. He turns to me and he says, actually, sir, I need you to read to me the 19-digit number on the bottom of that email. No problem. So I start. Three, four, eight. Two six nine eight seven four. The boys had gotten out. They had gotten out, and they went right to the glass display of ornaments right at the beginning, and decided to play with them. And there they were, pieces, millions of pieces, all over the floor. It's no secret that during this time of year. There is a lot of conversation, both from secular sources and spiritual sources, about peace. 
But it also happens that this time of year, perhaps more than any other time of year, the peace that we're supposed to have maybe feels just like that. Like it's in a million different pieces. You know, there's no scientific medical evidence that there's more mental health crises during the month of December. But there is a whole lot of evidence that people who do experience mental health challenges, well, the symptoms are exasperated during this time of year. It's no, no wonder then that people who, who maybe don't throughout the rest of year develop mental health challenges during the month of December. And while you don't see a rise in, in crises during the month of December, did you know you do in the months that fall? It's because during this time of year, there, there really is so much. There's so much pressure put on us that looks to, well, shatter the peace that we're supposed to have. Maybe it's the very legitimate deadlines that come with the end of the year, things that we have going on in our job, things that students have going on at school. Maybe it could be actually really good things that are kind of like flipped on us and now like are the thing that turns us into having a very dizzying December. Friends and family coming over, meals to prepare for, parties to get ready for, travel to book, travel to do, travel to coordinate with others. On top of that, we're still in a unique time that is dealing with a pandemic. Do you know 2021's word of the year is vaccine? And so there's questions that people have about vaccines and boosters for vaccines. This is supposed to be a time of year where we experience peace, where we experience so much joy, but oftentimes there seems that there is just so very much looking to rob us of peace and rob us of joy. And into that steps Paul and says, rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it'll guard your heart. So what are we to make of that? Peace so often is this, is this abstract concept that we want, that we know we are supposed to have being Christians this time of year. But so often it's a thing that, well, peace is something we pursue, but it, it remains at arm's length. And on top of that, Paul calls it something that transcends understanding. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to make it this abstract concept of peace concrete. And though it transcends understanding, what we're going to do this morning is look at three different pictures that, well, help us understand what God's peace is. Here are those three pictures. This is the first one. Would you click? The first one that we're going to look at is how God's gift of his peace is your private protector. Here's the second one. That it, God's peace, that is, is your personal preacher. And here's the third and final one. God's peace, his gift of peace to you, it is your perfect present. 
What you have in your worship guide this morning is a host of different passages. And what we're going to do is walk through those different passages as we explore these different pictures, these different, these different concepts that help us understand something that is not only difficult to understand, but often hard to wrap our heads around and experience. God's peace. We're going to go through each one of those parts, but before we do, maybe you would be helpful to define peace. God's peace. What it is and what it isn't. What God's peace isn't, is it, it's not merely a feeling. It's a reality. God's peace isn't merely an emotion. God's peace is a truth. Because what God's peace is, is your soul at rest and the good news that you are right with God, that you have been justified in Christ before your God. That means God declares you not guilty. What peace is, is in short, it's knowing that you're all good with God. And what it is, it's knowing that on the deepest, most intimate, most personal level in your soul, that I'll add this, that no matter what's going on in your life, highs or lows, peace feeling like it's shattering into a million pieces or not, that that is something that you have. You have Christ, you have a relationship with your heavenly father, and your soul can rest in that. We read it before, as we looked at Philippians chapter four, Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. If peace is wholeness, it is our soul at rest in God. The opposite, we might say, is anxiety. And that anxiousness, that word that Paul uses there is merimenna. And it, it's a word that in short means in pieces. Oftentimes it's translated into English as worry or concern or anxiety, but it literally means broken apart in a thousand pieces. And if, if that is a way to remember what peace isn't, I hope we'll cling on to that as we start to unpack these different pictures of what God's peace is for you. So let's start with this. Would you please click to part one and God's peace being your private protector. In Philippians, we read that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, what it does is this, is it guards your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, think about this. If something is guarding your heart and guarding your mind, well, that has to also mean kind of the negative opposite. There's something trying to attack your heart and your mind. And that is true. We have spiritual enemies. Think about this for just a second. Because you are a believer in Christ, you have spiritual enemies. If you were not a believer, if you were living outside of God's love, outside of God's family, you would just have one enemy, God. But the fact that you're not living there, the fact that you are in Christ Jesus, it means that you do have enemies. What are those enemies? Well, perhaps maybe you've heard it explained this way before, maybe the unholy trinity. It's the world, our sinful flesh, and the devil that wants nothing more than to separate you from the peace that you have in Christ Jesus. If I said it before that the peace that you have is yours, it's a reality, not just a feeling. It is a truth, not just an emotion. If it's something that is yours, that's a constant. And if what we know is true, then scripture, God says, nothing can separate you 
from my love, from the peace that you have, what are these enemies doing? Let's just look at this in terms of peace. What these enemies want nothing more than is to see you separated from that peace because they know they can't separate you from Christ and his peace. They want you to forget that you have it so you separate yourself from it. In terms of the world, it's this, it's this religion of nowism that your feelings, your peace, your joy is in fact based on your experiences, is in fact based on what you're going through, what you have and what you don't have. The world would want nothing more than for you to think that if things aren't going well, you don't have Jesus. Your flesh sets itself up, your sinful flesh sets itself up in opposition to God. And and while we know that what we have is in him, our flesh wants to think that we can go at this alone. That while we have a private protector, a personal preacher and this perfect gift, we don't really need it. That we're pretty, pretty smart and pretty capable of finding peace all on our own. That's the world and that's the flesh. And, and last but certainly not least is Satan, the devil, who is a superhuman intelligence. And the Bible calls him the father of lies. And this is what he says to you. This is what he says to you when maybe you do feel anxiety, you do feel temptation. He wants to accuse you and, and ask you, are you, are you really a Christian? Do you really have peace? After all, if this is your experience and this is what you're feeling, you must not. He tells you that lie to get you to experience that. The truth is that you do have enemies. You have enemies that want to take your peace from you and they know they can't take Christ from you. So they want to trick you into thinking that these gifts, this peace that you have is not real and you should forsake it. So what do you do? Well, in steps this, our God, our mighty warrior, who guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look at that again in Philippians chapter four, the top passage, the very, very last verse, verse seven. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Says it as a fact. It doesn't say that this will happen if you first do X, Y, and Z. It doesn't say first if, if in every situation you give prayers and you do the right kind of thanksgiving and you present your request to God just perfectly, then God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. No, he says, this is a present fact, a reality that God, through the waters of your baptism, through the word of God that you hear, through the sacraments that you get to partake of, he is standing on your heart, guarding you in Christ Jesus. He is the mighty warrior who's guarding and saving you. That's what we read in Zephaniah chapter three. Look at verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Do you know one of the most common depictions of God in the Old Testament is of that? Is of your God as a warrior. 
your God as the leader of angel armies standing over you, guarding and protecting you. Your God, who, by the way, has all the power in the world, who is infinite power, is the very one who stands on your heart at this very moment, guarding you from every single enemy that wants to take your peace and see it shatter into a thousand pieces. That is the God that you have. And go back just a couple verses. Look at verse 15. Last note on this one. The Lord, the same Lord, he's taken away your punishment. All the sins that we commit, all the times we've forsaken his peace or forsaken him, he's taken it away. It's gone. And what he does instead is turn back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. This is Emmanuel. This is not a leader, a king, a host of angel armies who is somehow distant and far removed from you. No, this is God with us. This is the baby who came into this world, into the fray, into the mess and the muck of our sins to be with you. Why? So never again will you fear any harm. Your God gives you his gift of perfect peace and It transcends our understanding, but as we try to make it understandable this morning, the first thing I want you to know is that you have this peace, you have this Savior as your private protector on your heart. You don't have to do anything about that. That's just the truth. So here's maybe the application or the second one, maybe something that you can do, we can think about. Number two is this. Would you click ahead? God's peace is your personal Preacher, read the last verse of Philippians chapter four, or excuse me, not the last verse. It says this, verse six, don't be anxious about anything. Just don't be anxious. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What do you do with a passage like that if you are feeling peaceless? What do you do with a passage like that if, in fact, you are suffering from any kind of temptation, any kind of anxiousness, any kind of depression? What do you do with that? Just rejoice. Don't be anxious. There's two mistakes that often happen when well-meaning Christians take God's word and really beautiful, wonderful passages like this and try to comfort friends, family members, or themselves with words like this. The first is that we can be just insensitive. Someone's dealing with something that robs their peace, that makes them feel anxious. And you say, just pray. Don't be anxious, just pray about it. The second misunderstanding is that well-meaning Christians who, who want that to work, who want that to be a reality, do pray, but, well, maybe we misunderstand what prayer is or how it works. Oftentimes, prayer is simply described as you talking to God, and that is true, that is what it is, but the misunderstanding often comes where we think we need to kind of conjure up the right magical words to say to God to get him to listen, that we need to kind of invent these poetic words in order to truly live a pious life that experiences no anxiety, no peacelessness. 
But the reality is that's never how God wanted prayer to work for his children. What God always shows us in his word is that prayer, prayer is indeed speaking to God, but it's nothing more than taking his words, his promises, and speaking them back to him, remembering them, impressing them on your heart. The truth is, when you are dealing with anxiety, when you're dealing with something that's trying to rob your peace, you have just two options. You know what they are? One, you can listen to your heart, or you can talk to your heart. You can listen to your heart and all the worry and all the questioning and all the doubt that arises from it. Or you can hear that and speak to your heart. Speak to your heart words of God. You can preach to it. That's what King David does. King David was someone who, in his life, he knew what it was like to have spiritual and physical enemies trying to rob his peace. He was, he was someone who experienced depression and anxiety, who was tried to be killed by the king that preceded him, who was tried to be killed by his own son, who several times throughout his life had to flee for his life. Well, he was someone who knew what it was like to have spiritual enemies and physical enemies rob him of his peace. And yet what he does when that happens is he speaks God's promises and he speaks God's words to his heart. I want you to turn to part two to Psalm 42 and look at how our God does this. Look at this passage with me. These words of David say this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He asks the question, when can I go meet God? Where is God? How do I find God? My soul yearns for God. But that's nothing that you ever have to worry about. Because you know when you can meet with God. You know where you can meet with God. And so does David. He's asking it rhetorically. He says this in verse three and four. My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Do you hear what David's talking about? He's reminding himself, his mind, his heart, of when he can go meet with God, where he can go to meet with God, where two or three are gathered in my name, around my word. What does God say? There I am. So what does David talk about? He talks about going to worship. He talks about going and sitting under the house of God, under the protection of the mighty one, there with his arms, enfolded around his, his son. And then what does he do? Well, David doesn't listen to his soul that has kept him awake with tears. No, he speaks to it. And you listen to what he says. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David speaks to his soul. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you, God, from the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon. From Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's not going through an easy time. 
And yet look what he says. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. It's not easy. He says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? He has real enemies that want him to forget that he has peace in God. They want him to ask the question, where is he? Instead of listening to that, what David does is speak to his soul. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You got two options when your heart feels peacelessness, when your heart feels anxiety. The one is you can listen to that voice inside of your head, the voice inside of your heart that expresses all of the doubts, all of the concerns, or you can speak to your heart. And I thought this morning what we do is we, we take the next Psalm, Psalm 30, and just try that. It's eight verses, and what you'll notice is this. As you pray these words with me and, and speak them to yourself, the first four verses of this tell us true things about God, his promises, who he is. And the next four words, what they do is remind ourselves, our heart, to put our hope, to put our, our longing for peace in his hands. Psalm 130 says, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Put your name in here. That, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself has redeemed you from all your sins. Amen. That's the second thing that your God's peace serves as. It serves as your personal preacher that you can take with you wherever you go to speak to your heart words of comfort and words of peace. Here's the third and the final picture to try to understand, to try to wrap our heads around what God's peace is. It is your perfect present. We read this in Psalm, excuse me, in John 27 earlier. Jesus, speaking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's point out, a couple of things from just this one passage. Note this, that Jesus says he's giving to you my peace. This isn't peace unlike any other. He describes it singularly as his peace. My peace, a gift to you. My peace that is not based on harmony between your family. My peace that is not based on harmony between countries. My peace that isn't based on your life experiences, your ups and downs, what you're going through. No, my peace that is based in the fact, the reality that in Christ Jesus, 
you're right with God. He has declared you not guilty. He says, this is my peace. And then he says to you, I don't give like the world gives. The world gives in, in almost every way conditionally. If, then, if you give, then I'll give. No, he says, I give it to you unlike the world. I give it to you as a gift. It's yours. This piece, you think about Jesus' disciples and what they were going through moments before he was taken captive. You think about what his disciples were going through as they saw their savior flogged and crucified and die. And then you think about these words, these words that, that my peace is with you and it means that you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be troubled, even during that. That is the nature of God's peace. And he says he leaves it. He says he just gives it to you unconditionally. And so now we have to talk about Luke chapter three, where John the Baptist is is speaking to the crowds and he says to them some words that rattle us. He says, look, the ax is already at the foot of the tree. He says, look, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And if you do not, Christ Jesus is going to come, take his winnowing fork and toss you into the flames. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. John says, produce fruit. Well, note this, as as John goes through this, people stop him and and they want to know what he should do. And what John does in this section is he gives very specific examples to people in very specific life stations. People who deal with money, don't steal money. Don't, don't charge more than you have to. Soldiers, be happy with your pay. Don't accuse people falsely. People who have something in the position where they can give a shirt to somebody, do that. And so what does that mean for us? What, what should we do? Well, think of it in terms of peace. Just think of it in terms of the peace that God has given you. What should you do? If you've taken the foundations class with me, I often talk about God's gift of salvation as a check for a billion dollars that he, that he put under the chair that you're sitting in. And he says, it's there, it's yours. I left it with you, you can have it. And, and that's true. God gives unconditionally, but the reality remains that you cannot believe him. That you can say, oh, fooey, I don't believe that you would give me a million dollars and just, you could get up, walk away, and you could leave that gift there. And in that way, live outside of God's love and God's eternal presence. So what does it look like to, to produce fruit in your life when it comes to peace? You know that you have a private protector who lives and reigns in the throne above and also on the throne of your heart through the waters of your baptism. You could look at life and and all that it throws at you and say, I'm just going to go at it on my own. Like, God, thank you. I see what you give me, but I'm pretty resilient. No, produce fruit in, in keeping with repentance. Rely on your private protector who is there for you always. 
You have a personal preacher. It is the word of God that teaches your heart how to speak to itself whenever it is yelling loudly along with the world, along with the devil, and all the ways that it wants you to experience anxiety. You could look at your personal preacher and go, shh, no thanks. Keep it down. I have other things to do. Or you could stand firm on the word that he's given to you and you could do that. You could open up God's word and again, there, produce fruit in keeping repentance. Don't tell your personal preacher of God's word who is with you always to be quiet, but surround yourself with it and speak these words. Read these words to one another. And third, this perfect present that God gives you. You could look at the peace that he's given you in Christ Jesus And how ridiculous would it be if you looked at someone who loved you and gave you a gift and you you simply said, no thanks. You wouldn't do that. Let's not do that with the peace that God has given us. And that's why what John is preaching to these people is such good news. Because he's guarding you against the danger of doing that. Because he knows that, well, to all who, who do receive this gift, Look at the rest of John chapter 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. What's in this for all who do receive this great gift that God has given them? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus' peace calms the troubled heart and it gives confidence to the fearful heart. Jesus' peace, what it does, because it is not just an emotion, it is not just a feeling based on what we're going through in our life, it informs our reality and it gives us confidence and joy no matter what we're going through so that with Paul, we can say, we do rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord always. Can I give you just one more picture or maybe rather a poem to remember the peace that God has given you. There's a gentleman who had what we refer to as a pretty rough life. His name was Joseph Scriven, and his life story is one unbelievable hit after another. He gets accepted to military college, and he's about to live out his dream of getting to serve, but then because of physical limitations, he finds out he can't. He gets out of military college. He, he, gets, he gets engaged to the love of his life. And the night before their wedding, she drowns. It's a couple of years later. He, he thinks he's found love again. But sickness this time takes his second fiance's life. On top of all this or because of this, Joseph d- develops depression that is with him and is its constant dark companion throughout his life. But what Joseph does to to combat this is, well, he preaches to his heart. He remembers his private protector. And having received the perfect gift of God's peace, he wrote hymns. One of them is probably one that's familiar to many of you. It's called, What a Friend I Have in Jesus. And the line in in it goes like this. And if you know the words, you can fill it in with me. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer.
You think about the peace that is yours. Not maybe, not conditionally, but it is. And how often don't we forfeit that peace, not because it's not ours, not because we don't have it, not because we somehow can't access it, but simply we forfeit this because we fail to go to our God who has given it to us. My friends, this morning my prayer is this, that through God's word, that peace has come to you and it is yours and you know it. And yes, it transcends understanding. But my prayer is, is this, that you understand it in all the beautiful ways that our, that our Savior informs us that it can. And finally, may the peace of God, that peace, which transcends all understanding, May it guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus for his sake. Amen.